Good morning. Good to see you all. Good to see you all downstairs. Thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. I can't see you at home, but you can see me. I'm glad you are, are joining and worshiping us with us at home. And so uh, we're glad that everyone could come and worship this wonderful, great king who has given us life. Uh, and we are thankful we can worship him. Amen. I don't think y'all believe that. Maybe I think I heard the people at home better I did than in this room. Y'all believe and thankful for that Jesus has come and given you life. Amen? Amen. All right. Amen. Thank you for being alive this morning. I'm glad you're alive. Uh, we want to continue in our series in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12 is where we are. So if you want to turn your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. And so that's where we are this morning. And as you are turning there in the home and downstairs in the fellowship hall and here in the room, uh, we're continuing this series as we discussed two weeks ago now that 2 Peter is a reminder again to stand firm. And in what way are we called to stand firm? Well, 1 Peter, uh, that book tells us to stand firm against uh, trials, punishment, tribulations that will come knowing that we live in the already but not yet. We're waiting to be in our eternal home. But 2 Peter reminds us to stand firm against the, 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 the seas of doubt, uh, the, the winds of false teaching, uh, the lures of false teaching maybe. Uh, and 2 Peter is telling us to stand firm. We talked about that a little bit last week. Uh, and we're going to talk a little bit, just a reminder here in just a minute. But today we're going to look how we should stand firm and the evidences of Christ. So if you would, I'm going to read verse 12 through 21 and read along with me in your copy of God's Word or on your devices. Therefore, I will always remind you about these things, even though you know them, and are established in the truth you now have. I think it is right, as long as I'm in this bodily tent, to wake you up with a reminder, since I know that I will soon lay aside my tent, as the Lord Jesus Christ has intended, made clear to me. And I will also make every effort so that you are able to recall these things at my time after my departure, at any time after my departure. For we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. We also had the prophetic word strongly confirmed, and you will do well to pay attention to it. As a lamp shining in the dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts, above all you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men spoke from, the God, from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we this morning know that we are coming under the authority and power of your word. And Lord, we want to hear from you. And so we, as your people, come expectantly. We know that you have saved us, you have made us new, and now we know, thankfully, through the, the word, you have given us life and the way to live. 
So this morning, as we are come together under your word, change us, make us new. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, as parents, right before we leave the door, we have to give one last reminder. Now remember, what did I tell you, right? We, there's special instructions. What are you going to do? How are you going to act? Don't forget. And bosses, sometimes before they leave for an extended vacation, will set down their employees and say, okay, this is what I want you to remember while I'm gone. At the end of, of both college and high school graduations, they gather their students recently online, but they still gather to hear one last message, one last uh, final speech, sending them to the world to remember the matters of first importance. We know that final reminders and final words are important. It is written by a historian that D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, as he was an ailing pastor, arose from his, his sleep and said these words, earth recedes, heaven opens for me. And in the days prior to that, I mean following that, he gathered people around him and instruction, gave them instructions uh, uh, until he passed away. Well, I believe here as we read, Peter is in Rome, and we know that not long from now that that Peter will be crucified upside down for his faith but he also admits in this letter that his tent his earthly tent he would be leading so we could read this leaving this would be his farewell address in many ways the main point that we've read up to this point in second Peter is this is that we should confirm our election and salvation in Christ through our obedience in faith. And when we come to verse 12, Peter is then concerned then that we know and that we are sure and that we are established in the truth so that we can press on in obedience. Peter is calling us to establish ourselves in the truth of Christ. This is a term when it uses the term establish in verse 12, is, is an architectural or a foundational term. It is communicating stability, steady, steadfast, strengthened, established. As a matter of fact, it could be used as a term in structural engineering. There was a structural engineer who said these words, that the primary role that he has of stability is that most people readily think of vertical stability and can quickly relate to that need of securing solid foundations. Anybody who drives over the bridge over to Cincinnati prays for solid foundations every time you go over it. Heavy loads require deeper and more solid foundations lest they become unstable. Also important is the horizontal stability of a structure. This is what ensures that a building doesn't blow over in a hurricane or a seismic earthquake event. So stability, establishment. It, here, Peter is reminding us and Christians that we, to keep ourselves from failing, to have a faith that truly flourishes, 
are Christians that finish well because they have deeply rooted themselves. They have found a sure foundation by by going deep into the scriptures and deeper into their knowledge of Christ, but also not just that they might fall, but they might not be moved or blown about by prevailing cultural winds or false teaching. Peter knew that false teachers were going to come in the church. And we've said that 2 Peter is really a, a, a warning to the church that, yes, in 1 Peter, there's going to be persecution from the outside or fighting, fighting or uh, problems from the outside, but he also is warning now in 2 Peter, there are issues inside the church, false teaching. Well, we know that God has written his word and given his word in such a way that we know that he has written it to, yes, the first century, but all the while to every Christian and every church and every generation to come that he knew that we would be facing times where there would be false teachings within the church. Not necessarily Hebrew and Baptist church. I don't sense that there's false teaching here, but in Christendom, in Christian culture, we know that there are Christians who proclaim a prosperity gospel that that says that if I can name it and claim it, that if I have a sow a seed of faith, that I might receive something in return. Now we see it twisted in a way of both financial gain, but I think even more dangerously, the underpinning of this belief is that all Christians avoid any sort of trials or discomfort or problem. This is false teaching. We cannot read the Bible. We couldn't even read 1 Peter and get through the first chapter and not understand that all Christians are going to face some sort of suffering and pain. But there's also a syncretism that has, has arisen within the church of, of people that are, can just be good enough. That if someone can be just good enough that, that at the end of their life they'll be able to take the steps up at the end of their life instead of the left down. That if you just accrue just enough good things, or if their family has been a good Christian family, or if they, they've just done enough things to, to warrant going to heaven, it's all going to work itself out in the end. But we know that's not a Christian faith. We know that's not a biblical faith. The biblical faith tells us that we must understand that Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. That in faith in him alone and salvation faith can one be saved. And we as believers need to be like a jeweler. A jeweler who could take a stone and understand and uh, say if it's a diamond or cubic zirconium, that we can understand if it is the truth, the true Christ, the true faith, the true word, or a cheap knockoff. The question for you and for me today is, can we know the difference? And are we established enough in our faith to be sure and steady and established that we might be able to reject the false teaching, but also be sure ourselves when we face temptation or trial or problems. So today in our passage, I want to see three ways that we might establish ourselves 
in the faith. Number one, we must establish ourselves by recalling the truth of Christ. We must establish ourselves by recalling the truth of Christ. Now, I'm not going to reread this entirely, but let, verse 12 and then uh, verse 13 and then verse 15, there seems to be a, a, a key. Listen to this. Paul, Peter says, uh, I will remind you about these things. Verse 13, to wake up with a reminder. And verse 15, that you will be able to recall these things at the end of my departure. Not so subtle hint, right? Peter is telling that he wants us to be able to recall, remember, understand the truth of Christ. He is convinced that if we continue to recall and remember the greatness of Christ's work and the promises in which he is given, that we will be awakened and aroused to the hope of those promises he has given us, that we might diligently grow and thus confirm our faith, call, and election. That if we are to maybe to say it differently, that as we remember Christ and remember what he has done, we are more likely and more encouraged to grow in godliness, to grow in our faith, and to stay established in our faith. Paul writes in Colossians 1, 5, and 6, he says, Because of the hope reserved for you in heaven, you have already heard about this hope in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you, and it is bearing fruit and growing all over the world, just as it is among you since the day you heard it, and you've come to truly appreciate God's grace. You see, this means that even we who know the truth of Christ must be established and need repeated reminders of the greatness of God unless we fall asleep and forget. It is very often that we as believers can take our eyes off the prize, so to speak, that we are tempted to find our faith or find our hope or find our salvation in other things our grades our jobs our relationships other people even things that make us feel better but we know that aren't quite christian we are tempted to think of other things other than christ well just consider this we have a day committed once a year to remember our faithful mothers. There's one day a year that we are to be reminded of their greatness. We have a day once a year that we are supposed to remember and recall and think back of the greatness of our fathers. There's a day that is committed for us to remember and recall the sacrifice and duty and honor and worth of our veterans who have fought for us. There are days that we have set forth to remember Things that we can see with our own eyes. Now, some of us, we have parents that have gone to be with the Lord, but we have lived with the experience of these people in our lives. And yet, for some reason, we need a reminder of what we have seen. Well, think of how much more we need reminders of the things that we can't see. 
of the Christ who has died for us. We need daily, weekly, monthly reminders to recall the greatness of Christ, the reminders of truth. That means that's why we need to continue to go to our Bibles daily and be refreshed to the mercies of God when we read in the scriptures of his sacrifice to us. That's why we should be encouraged to come and bring our family around for family devotions to remind ourselves and our children the importance of Christ. That The reason we should daily preach the gospel to our own hearts because we forget and we we look at other things that might uh, fight for our allegiance. The same reason that we must do these things to continually remind us of this wonderful truth of Christ. I know Sarah in our home, we have reminders over all of our house of scriptures and the ways that God has blessed us and that we need to Firm ourselves in these things. So are you establishing yourself by reminding yourself, your heart, your mind, and the establishment of Christ and who he is and what he has done? Secondly, we establish ourselves in the eyewitness of the majesty of Christ. In verse 16, it says, For we do not follow cleverly contrived Myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Instead, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For he received honor and glory from the God Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice when, we, when it came from heaven while we were with him on the holy mountain. Well, if we want to establish ourselves, the good news for us is we are establishing ourselves in not just a myth or a story or a fable or a family tradition, but we are establishing ourselves in the eyewitness truth of Jesus Christ, his majesty on the cross. But even more than that, Peter says, the majesty that he is the son of God, a member of the triune God. First, I want to clarify a couple of things. In verse 16, as you read through this, you would see him say, uh, but if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God. Oh, oh, I went too far back. Let me try that again. Verse 16, for we did not follow cleverly contrived myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that word coming is important because in the Greek it is parousia. This word 18 times in the New Testament speaks not just of his, not his first coming that we'll celebrate next month, but his second coming. And Peter is saying, hey, you believer, this myth, this truth is not just that Christ saved you, but he's coming again. And he continues on to say in verse 16 that he's made it known. That this is not some wonky belief of a few Christians, but this is a vital foundational belief as us as believers that Jesus is coming again. And that he's going to receive those who believe in him and he is going to welcome us to glory. And this belief is a mark of our faith that we should reckon seriously, earnestly, and joyfully knowing that this visible God-man Jesus Christ lived, died, rose again, and will one day 
come back. But more faithful still, Peter says that because of this, he is an eyewitness. It is not just a, a, a passed down belief. But Peter says, we can be established because I am an eyewitness to his glory. Now, interestingly, our faith is built not on a hope or feelings, but on the fact that Jesus Christ came, died, and rose again. And that fact is supported by eyewitnesses. That Paul says in 1 Corinthians that over 500 could be go and examine, and they would all say, we saw the risen Lord. That we can be sure of our faith. That we can be sure of our glory and what is coming. But Peter didn't use that. Imagine what Peter could have said. Peter could have said, because I saw him alive. Peter could have said that I'm the eyewitness of his ascension into heaven. I mean, you don't see that every day, right? You don't see somebody rising up from the ground and just disappearing into the sky. I mean, that would be pretty enough witness for me, right? But what did Peter say? That I got to reveal on the mountaintop his majesty. That Peter was an eyewitness to something that he knew that Jesus was the Son of God. The transfiguration that is attested in three of the four Gospels, that Jesus and his majesty was revealed from heaven, that God himself, himself even spoke and said, this is my beloved son whom I am well pleased. This is echoes of Psalm chapter 2 when it says, I will declare the Lord's degree. You are my son. Today you have, I have become your father. Ask of me and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. The point is, is that we can have faith in Christ for our salvation, our eternity, our hope, because that same Jesus is majestic, is God, and he is real. And Peter saw this. And so anytime that we might have doubts, any times that we might be discouraged, we within our souls can say that this is an established faith of a Savior God who came, who revealed himself as God, and we can be assured. If you remember, it is true that we must have this etched in our hearts. We must have this truth that Jesus is God and died for us etched on our souls that we must understand this and believe it and that the fire of the Holy Spirit must make this real for me and you you remember ancient days long before that there were wax seals for letters and it was the understanding of this seal this wax was melted and put on the paper and the signet ring or some sort of marking would be put on it but if the wax was not heated enough. If it was too cool and you press something on it, what would happen? Well, it would break. Or if it wasn't heated quite enough, it wouldn't go in, so you couldn't see the, the, the detail of the seal. What, what needed to happen? True heat needed to come. True heat 
need to make that wax impressionable enough that we might see the detail. Well, brother and sister, we need the heat and work and power of the Holy Spirit that brings us to saving faith in God. That when we are born again, we didn't see eyewitness as Peter did on that mountaintop. But those of us who are born again, we were eyewitnesses to a saving grace that has happened in our soul. And that we can remember what our lives were like and what happened when we came to understand that Jesus is our only way to live. That we understood the depths of our sin and the hopelessness that we had in ourselves because of that sin and that when it was revealed to us that Jesus has taken that sin for us oh I remember it like it was yesterday can you recall that let your mind and heart think back to that day brother and sister if you trusted Christ you are an eyewitness to the power and might of God to bring a dead soul alive. And that eyewitness should encourage you to be steadfast and sure and endure to the end. Because this is not a myth, but a Messiah who has saved you. I encourage you today that you should stand firm because you are eyewitnesses to someone being saved that was not deserving. It was you. And today, you who are maybe tuned in for the first time, an invitation by sharing a link to our video, or maybe it came by invitation with someone today. Maybe you came this morning and you have heard this good truth that Jesus has died for you. Listen by faith today, trust in Christ, and you will be our witness to the glory of God and saving of a soul your own. Reach out in faith, trust in Christ, and be born again. Today, God is calling you. Third and finally, we can be established by submitting ourselves to the authority of God's word. Here is him important for us this morning and maybe the landing place for where we live practically and faithfully today until he comes again today comes again soon verse 19 we have this other establishing truth that we have a prophetic word strongly confirmed and you will do well to pay attention to it, to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you know this, no prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation because no prophecy ever came by the will of man. Instead, men smoke, spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And so in verse 19... Peter returns to this truth of the earlier verses that all Christians need to be reminded repeatedly of the precious and great promises. But these promises we know are established not by man, not by myth, 
not by vote, not by because somebody thought it was a good thing, but because God spoke to the prophet and the writer to us through his written word. Here, this points that all Christians need to be reminded of this admonition to the prophetic word. And here is a reminder, as a descriptor, that Peter gives us that, uh, that just as it is nighttime, that, that you need a lamp or a light to be able to see the world is covered with darkness. And so that we might not trip up on false teaching, that we might not fall in and away in our doubt, that we would have a wonderful, true, God-given light to us to warn us from danger and keep us from temptation to falsehood. And this light and this lamp comes, we know, through Christ's coming, but through the prophetic word of God. He pleads with us. Keep our eyes on the word. Don't fall asleep. Don't turn away to this bewitching song of the night. And the hope of the coming of Jesus Christ is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path in this very dark world. So look, Peter confirms strongly, strongly than anywhere else in Scripture that the Old Testament is the true written word of God. And that if it is true, then what the apostles has written is true as well. But importantly for us to understand that all of Scripture, the Old and New Testament, and every jot and tittle in it should be the guidance for our lives. And this flies right in the face of a modern understanding of a red-letter theology or belief. Maybe you've heard of it, maybe you've not. Maybe you have a Bible that has Jesus' words written in red, and people will say from time to time, well, I only believe the, the red parts of my Bible. You know, this section over here is sort of uh, kind of fantasy. Some of this has kind of got a little bit of truth. Well, brother and sister, that is, that is not how the scriptures, and especially not how Jesus himself, the, the author and the speaker of those red words, would believe. Jesus said that not any jot or tittle will ever pass away. Jesus said, your word is truth. And what part of the Bible did Jesus read from? The Old Testament. And therefore, every bit of Scripture is faithful and true and necessary for us to live our lives. And therefore, we cannot say that there is parts of the Bible that is authoritative in our life and other parts that are not authoritative in our life. Brother and sister, if you say that, if you can say, there's some people who will say, I can't take the Bible literally. Well, they don't really mean it when they're not using their actually right terminology when they say that when they say literally what they're really saying is is that I can't take the Bible authoritatively they don't want to take it to God their life but if you're following a Jesus and you are saying I can't take the Bible literally meaning I can't accept every single part of it I don't take it as the final authority of my life, 
then you're following a Jesus of your own imagination. You're not following the Jesus of the Bible. Jesus never existed in that way where he thought parts of the Bible were authoritative and they were not. He says, pay close attention to it. And Peter is saying, all of God's word is not the idea and mind of man, but of God himself. And therefore, this Bible, we should pay close attention to it and follow it. Charles Spurgeon said, the call as given by the book of inspiration ought to have over your minds a masterly power. And if your hearts were right before God, that word spoken in the scriptures by the Holy Ghost would be at once obeyed. You need to establish yourself in the scriptures as authoritative in your life. There are times that you are going to have to say to yourself, I know I feel this, but God's word says this. And every single time, brother or sister in Christ, you need to follow this and not your feelings. Just think of this this way. Wisdom can come with age. And when we come with our parents to children, we often have to say to our children or to a three-year-old, whose wisdom is not infinite, I can attest, the point is that you're constantly asking a child to do things that the child hates, that the child finds terrible, that doesn't want to do, screams about, they think they're going to die if they end up doing it. And so, but you know in your wisdom you can't let them do that. They cannot put a knife in the socket. Uh, they cannot go driving your car yourself. They cannot do things that are dangerous to them, even if they think they want to. You ex exercise your authority for their sake. And the distance between a 40-year-old's wisdom and a 3-year-old's wisdom is far less than the distance between God's wisdom and our wisdom. God is infinitely more wise and infinitely more sure, and infinitely more knowing of the truth. And when we understand this, there are many times we expect our children to do what they've been told when they don't understand. How dare us not do what we're told to do when we don't understand it by God? Once you say Jesus is the Son of God who is raised from the dead, you accept the authority of the Bible because there's no other way to do it and still follow him. This means there are going to be times when you say that my feelings feel this way, but I'm going to do what I know is right by God. And brothers and sisters, that is how we stay firm and established because when we allow our feelings or the culture or, or ongoing argumentation of who and what is Christ and Christianity, when every time we take an inch away from the Bible, we're taking years of disobedience 
away from God's will. We need to stay close to God and his word. So how are you needing to be established and root, rooted in yourself in Christ today? Do you need to continue to recall Jesus and what he's done in your life? Do you need to continue to go back and understand that sacrifice and, and, and gift of grace that you've received? Do you need to be confirmed that the truth and the trustworthiness of the eyewitness account of Jesus and who he is and what he's done? Or do you need to allow the Bible to guide your life that you might stay firm and established? If you consider these things, Paul says you will be established and confirmed and endure to the end. Brothers and sisters, remember this. Remind yourself. And even when Sean is gone from this tent, that you will continue to recall these things to the end. Let us pray. God, I pray this morning that you would help us to receive and know and be firmly established in the faith of Jesus Christ. May we not be turned to the right or to the left of the truth of God in our faith. May we stay sure in our not be tempted into despair or discouragement. May we not be turned or tossed aside to by modern philosophies and teaching. May we be reminded, even in the midst of temptation, that in every fiber of us wants to sin, and yet we are recalled by your word that we should chase godliness and holiness, that we might confirm our election and salvation. I pray, God, this morning that as we are recalled and established, help us both as believers and as a church to establish, encourage, remind, and recall together the greatness, goodness, and power of Christ that we might endure to the end. In Jesus' name, amen.